You know, that's stolen from somebody's sermon. I saw that on Facebook. I thought, well, I might as well steal it from them. I know they stole it from an African-American preacher. That's a famous sermon. It's wonderful. Um, so I thought it'd make a good title. You know, I was raised to respect religion as a child. You couldn't really badmouth church or preachers or anything like that when I was growing up. But to my knowledge, nobody in my family was actually born again or saved. Uh, I wasn't ever really against God. I always kind of felt there was there was a God, uh, but never cared much to follow him or even find out what he said. Uh, like many of you, I was raised in the public schools. And uh, as a result, I was told that the Bible that you hold in your hands or is in the pew next to you was a collection of, of fables and stories over the centuries and uh, that you couldn't trust it. That was sort of the way I was brought up. And uh, when Linda first started talking to me about Christ, it was somewhat of a, uh, a joke to me to argue with it. And... Uh, I said, yeah, I know Jesus. I know who he is. Yeah, yeah. But somehow she knew <laughs> whatever I knew about Jesus wasn't enough. You know, uh, it, it didn't work. It didn't take. And uh, sometime later, her sister gave me a book by Hal Lindsey, The Lake Great Planet Earth. And, and I read, uh, as he was starting out, one of the things he set out to do was to, uh, he set out to, uh, to show you that you can trust the scriptures. And one of the ways he did that was the 22nd Psalm. Now, I'm not going through that because that's really not the purpose of this message today. But there's an aspect of this that I want to share with you. And I, I don't know if you've read this Psalm. You really need to go read the whole thing. Everyone knows the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not mourn. You know, go back up one. And there's, there's a poem there that describes the process of being crucified from the point of view of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. It's frighteningly awesome. And he, he describes what it feels like to be crucified. Now, if I, if, I, if I had the time or if I wanted to use your time for this, I'd take you through the whole psalm because it starts in the beginning talking about who surrounded him and it ends with him sharing his story both with his brethren in the next to the last verse and in the main congregation, which is in heaven. So it speaks of his resurrection, of his appearances to his disciples, and to his eventual return to heaven. In this one song, written a thousand years before Jesus was born, which I guess it kind of impressed me, but what impressed me the most as I was reading Hal Lindsey's book was it was written 800 years before this method of crucifixion was invented. And then you begin to think, what? And that, that I wasn't saved because I read that psalm. I wasn't saved because I believed it, you know? But in that process, he talked about death by dehydration. He talked about being surrounded by soldiers. He talked about having both shoulders dislocated. He talked about the Gentiles that were around him and the Jewish leadership and his hands and feet being, feet being pierced. He talked about all these things a thousand years before the event. And that made me think, you know, maybe the Bible isn't a collection 
of stories by people who just made it up. Maybe it's one continuous message from God through the Holy Spirit as directed, and we can trust this book. So for the first time, as I studied the literal fulfillment of a thousand-year-old prophecy, it opened the door to my thinking. I was still pretty much clueless. And I want to talk about the resurrection today, and I want to tell you that the disciples, where they were all pretty much clueless too. They didn't know what was going to happen, and they couldn't figure out what was happening. I wasn't saved at the time when I believed this scripture. And it's interesting for me to note to you that you're not a Christian just because you believe the Bible. You're not a Christian just because you sit in a church. You're not a Christian just because you pastor a church. You're not a Christian just because you go to the church. Now the followers of Jesus were just as clueless as I was. After that horrible day when Jesus was murdered, the disciples were hiding in fear, fear for their lives. They understood that they would be hunted down and they too would be killed because that's the way they did business in those days. If you hung out with that guy, your life was at risk and they weren't looking for Jesus to come back. They were looking for a way to get out of town without getting caught. The women felt more comfortable. It was less likely that they would be killed, but the men, their lives were at risk. They thought they'd been wrong about Jesus. And when you think about that, you can understand that. And after that Sabbath, you know, Jesus was uh, executed, and then the Sabbath came. And then uh, after the Sabbath, Sunday morning, uh, when, the, when that first Sunday that we call Easter Sunday, when that happened and the women went to to the grave. They weren't going there to witness the resurrection. They weren't going there to meet Jesus. They were going there in the cool of the morning quite quite grossly to wash the body of Jesus before it started smelling too bad. They expected to find a corpse in that grave. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. It was They wanted to give him a proper burial. They gave him a hasty burial when he died. They wanted to give him a proper one. And it was very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And you know what they found. This is the story. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right. Let me stop for a minute. Yeah, that looks pretty good to you. It's a little harder for them to read, I see. And entering to the sepulchre, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were frightened. And he said unto them, Be not afraid. Yeah, right, that's not going to happen, is it? No, 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 be not afraid. You see, Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified, he is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where he lay. He is risen. He is not here. You know, they didn't understand a word of that. Mary Magdalene was so so upset that she stayed behind, and you know this story. I'm jumping all over the different stories, putting the experience together, if I can, for you, as briefly as I can. Now, when Jesus was risen early that first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him, and they mourned and wept. I'm sorry, as they mourned and wept. Now, I love verse 11, because it tells me that there's hope for me, and there's hope for you. So Mary comes trudging back to where the disciples are hiding to tell them the body is not only missing, he's been raised and I've seen him. And when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, they believed not. Like, wow. Who was the first person to proclaim the resurrection? 
was a woman. It's pretty interesting. I, I, one of my friends who was a missionary to Africa for many years, Clint Akins, he posted on his Facebook page, uh, Sunday at church, we're going to do an actual resurrection, and the women are going to preach the resurrection on Easter Sunday. He said, I think he said we're going to do a biblical cer ceremony. The women are going to preach the resurrection because nobody, none of the men believed it at that time. The other women that saw on their way to town, they ran into Jesus. And when they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him, and then said, Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go and tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and that the plan was to meet them in Galilee. He told them that beforehand, but he's reminding them because they're not listening very well. Be not afraid. Go and tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall meet them. And it was Mary Magdalene and Jonah and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women that were with them, which told these things to the apostles. And verse 11, their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Now, Peter and John, hearing that the, the, uh, the tomb was empty, ran to the tomb. And John, being the young, young man that he was, mentions that uh, he beat Peter. They, they ran, and he was faster than Peter. And then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Now, my understanding of this verse is from one of my professors in seminary that said, the linen clothes were still wrapped, as if they were wrapped around the Lord Jesus Christ. And they realized that he must have come up through them. There's no way to get at you've been you've been wrapped, 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 wrapped five, six, seven, eight, ten times. And then he came right through those clothes, and they could see it as they're still rolled up. He couldn't have wiggled out of that, see. But the thing that struck John the most was they laid a towel on the head, a little napkin, a little cloth towel. And when John noticed that when he sat up through that wrapping, through that grave clothes, the towel remained on his head. So he took it off his head and he folded it up very neatly and set it on the side so that John could see it. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Did I get this messed up? Then went in also, no, that's right. Then went also that other disciple, that's John, which came first to the sepulcher. I beat him there. But Peter blundered right in. And he saw and believed. So John is saying, I'm the first of the disciples to believe. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away unto their own homes. Even after that, that evening, he appeared to the eleven, uh, as Linda had mentioned, uh, Thomas wasn't there. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he had risen. They thought he was a ghost. And he said unto them, Why are you so troubled? Why do your thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And it wasn't enough. 
And when they believed not for joy and wonder, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? They thought they were looking at a ghost. And he said, Have you got anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb. I guess they figured that if he ate a piece of fish and he truly was a ghost, they could see it going down. I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking, but he wanted them to know that he, in fact, was physically alive. And he took it and did eat in front of them. Now, there were 12 appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ prior to, well, it depends on who's doing the counting. There are people that count 13. I'm not going to go into that now. But over 40 days, there were at least 12 appearances. And in each of those appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ, most of the people were still left confused and, in fact, doubting. Some of them went home. Jesus on the first day, had to find them on the road, walk with them, follow them into their house, show to them that it was he, and tell them to get back to Jerusalem, which I find interesting because he told them before he was crucified that he was going to be crucified, and they were to wait in Jerusalem until the day of Pentecost would come, until till the, the, the 50th day. They were supposed to wait in Jerusalem. Some went home and Jesus had to bring them back. Some thought he was a ghost. He had to eat in front of them. Peter went fishing, and all the others, of course, followed, and Jesus had to meet them on the bank, bring them ashore, feed them breakfast, and recall Peter. And when he calls Peter, he calls him three days. This is all within 40 days. But on the 49th day, something happened that was different. What happened was the Holy Ghost came and was given to the church. And now not only was Jesus external to them, but with the giving of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost was internal to them. And that's what we call being born again. We don't consider believing that Jesus rose from the grave enough to get you into heaven. What we consider enough to get you to heaven is when you're born again. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. Barely, barely I send you except a man be born again. You have to have a transformative experience with the Holy Spirit or you're not saved. But when the Holy Spirit came into their hearts, it all began to fit together. They began to understand it. God became a man in order to die for our sins, their sins, your sins and my sins. And in their minds, their minds as Jews traveled all the way back to uh, Egypt when the, the, the death angel was going to pass over and the Jews were told to go into their homes, go into their homes, you have to be in Christ, you see, and, and slaughter a, a little pet lamb, an ornos, a little pet lamb, and paint the blood on the, the top of the door on each side, representing the blood in Jesus' head and on his hands, paint the blood on the entrance to your home, the entrance to your heart, you have to paint the blood on the entrance to your heart, and you have to receive this. You have to eat that lamb standing, ready to go. See, his blood covering our sins and his body saving us from eternal death. It's a beautiful picture. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a minute. It's the exact same picture. It was first celebrated at an early Passover that Jesus celebrated with his people. You know, 1,200 years before Christ was the first Passover. Jesus celebrated it again with his disciples just before he was killed. And really, this is one aspect of the Passover that we're going to celebrate now. It was a prophecy for us 3,000 years in the making. When they believed for the first time that Jesus had risen from the dead, 
it changed them. But it didn't change them forever until the Holy Spirit moved in their lives. The fascinating thing about this is you have these men that are hiding for 50 days in fear of their lives. The Holy Ghost comes into them and that same morning, they're downstairs in the city square preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the very people who had him crucified. And he and Peter said, you took him by guilty hands and killed the Lord of glory. You would have thought they'd have swamped them, but instead of killing them, 5,000 people, well, I think the first day, 3,000 people were saved as a result of that message. This same group of men that were terrified were suddenly, because of the indwelling Lord Jesus Christ, suddenly changed. And that, my friends, is what is being born again. To a man, every one of those disciples testified of the risen Christ from the moment the Holy Spirit came into their lives until they were murdered by people who wouldn't believe them, affirming with their own testimony and with their own lives, each one dying with the same message on his lip. Repent, turn from your sin. That's the first step. Understand, open the door to believe, accept, that's the first step. Repent, turn from your sin, recognize yourself a sinner. And the second step is receive Jesus as your Savior. That's what happened on that day of Pentecost happens to every one of us when we pray that prayer and turn from our sin. My life didn't change when I changed my mind about Scripture. I was still the same old sinner that I always was. It did open the door of my understanding. I began to see. I began to understand. But it didn't change. Just as it didn't change all those times that I went to church. My mother would take me to church. I didn't really want to go, but she'd take me to church and I'd listen to sermons I didn't understand and I'd fidget and be bored and she used to carry a little chewing gum, a little chiclet chewing gum to calm me down, just to calm me down, just say, hey, be quiet, be quiet. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I respected it, but I didn't get it. But when I prayed to Jesus Christ and said, not only I understand I'm a sinner and need Savior, but would you come into my life? Would you come into me and save me from my sins? That's when my life changed, when the Holy Spirit came in. When I painted his blood on the doorposts of my heart and received him, entered in to be with him, when he entered in to be with me, that's when I was saved. And that's what the scripture tells us. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the message that I wanted to leave with you today.